Ephemeral is a production of iHeartRadio. Last episode, we traced the rise and fall of the video rental store with Dan Herbert, a professor of media studies at the University of Michigan and author of the book, Videoland, Movie Culture at the American Video Store. Today, we're going to take our own field trip to an independent video store that, despite the ever-changing media market, has continued to thrive in its local community. Later, the ephemeral team will chat with two of our favorite podcast hosts, Lauren Vogelbaum and Annie Reese of the podcast Saver, about some of our best video store memories. But first, a few more words from Dan on the ephemeral experience of selecting a movie from a wall of titles. One of the things that I think was awesome about video stores is that they put things into shelves and aisles, and that those shelves and aisles had a logic that spatialized a bunch of notions about taste and value related to movies. What I mean by that is that they put labels on them like action or adventure or romance or horror. Different stores created these categories to lump movies together and they put that into a physical space or there was a physical space associated with that category. Just the same way you walk down an aisle in a grocery store and you're like, oh, this is the space with baby food and baby diapers and now there's pet toys. What's that about? I just think that like retail spaces are really interesting in general and video stores were interesting because of the way they clumped things together. At the corporate stores like Hollywood and Blockbuster, generally those stores put things into very broad, generic categories because those stores were really driven by new releases. So the biggest section of the store was not based on a genre or a commonality among the movies, but rather the temporality of the release. The kind of broad categories found at a corporate store imply a kind of openness and a kind of democratic attitude toward individual tastes that you didn't have to know much about a movie or about the history of movies or about film, art, or aesthetics to figure out where you should be in the store to get what you want. And then with independent stores, you find all sorts of quirky categories. Sometimes these are kind of because the person is educated about film history and film art. Sometimes it's just because there was like a quirky video store owner, right? So like Various small town stores had these great sections like movies with people with mustaches or like Valentine's Day's movies. So like a subcategory of romances, right? Whereas the corporate store had everything in these big umbrellas, the independent stores generally find more sections and more kind of fine-grained criteria for putting movies together. And then there's those stories that really went to town being very particular about why some movies were in some sections and they have tons and tons of sections. So it's not just a matter of putting things into like documentary, but you have subsections for historical documentary, political documentary, concert films, etc. And then foreign films might be divided by country, by director or by both, right? Those kinds of stores display in physical space a kind of more formally educated approach toward film. Not necessarily a better education, just a more formally trained. It's like, oh, somehow we should all think about where a movie came from, what country, and we should all think about what director. That isn't necessarily the case. But if you've been to film school, that is the case. So those stores are a little, I would say, less democratic because you can't navigate those spaces unless you know, one, that directors matter and that countries matter. And two, you have to kind of have a more kind of intellectual rather than emotional approach towards selection, meaning that it's like, okay, if I want to feel scared at 8.30 p.m., that might mean me actually going to the documentary section or getting something by Louis Bunuel. Those are the three categories. Is like the corporate store with its bland, general, emotion-driven, generic categories the indie stores that were often quirky and had more sections, and those sections often revealed kind of the oddball thinking of the individual owners. And then there's those specialty stores 
that really did organize things according to a very kind of formal and formally educated approach toward film history and film art. But everything came to a head at the checkout counter. Rather than appearing like a movie concession stand, early video store checkout counters like looked like hardware repair shops because that's really what they were doing is they were, they were renting these tapes and these VCRs. With three paid rentals from Blockbuster Video, get a free two-liter bottle of Diet Coca-Cola. And then, yeah, Blockbuster and other stores like that really did transform the checkout counter into a movie concession stand. So you weren't just getting the movie, but, you know, all of the kind of things that we attach to movie consumption from movie theaters, you know, candy, soda, whatever, things like that. The checkout counter is this kind of amazing space in general because all of that contemplation, wandering, browsing, selecting, discussing, all of that gets kind of condensed down to this business transaction at the counter, right? So on the one hand, there's the clerk, and maybe the clerk is somebody that you would talk to and make recommendations uh, back and forth. Maybe the clerk isn't that kind of person. But in the end, it's a business transaction. It can be fraught because it is a business transaction. Like, do I have late fees, right? Like the number of times people are surprised by having late fees or feign surprise by having late fees. Like, oh no, I had no idea. And then the bizarre negotiation that would happen between the clerk and the customer of like, well, you owe 30 bucks, but I guess, you know, I can, I can let you off for 15. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean you're going to let me off? You're not a cop. <laughs> and who determined like the, the value of a late movie anyway? Like there's no fixed price on, on lateness. I mean, there is at the store, but it's still like, such a strangely ephemeral or bendable kind of thing. Here in Atlanta, we're fortunate to have Videodrome a rental house that's continuously operated since 1998. Videodrome exemplifies much of what Dan values about the in-store rental experience. It's a place that has something to offer anyone that walks through its doors and has been able to adapt to two decades of change, including weathering a global pandemic. Inside, you'll find a vibrant culture of people from all walks of life geeking out about film with stacks of DVDs in their arms. Owner Matt Booth and the proprietors of Videodrome were gracious enough to invite us to chat about their history, take a look around, and point microphones at unsuspecting customers. I like to just collect and watch as much as I can, especially during quarantine. And um, there's a lot of stuff that isn't online, and Videodrome has been like the only source I could find for so much stuff. There's this myth that like, in the age of the internet, yeah. like you have access to everything. on there. But it's yeah. not. It's just we, it's like, it's We have not. about somewhere between 30 and 40,000 movies. And like if you take Netflix, Hulu, Amazon and combine their entire, just film libraries, not counting the television, I think it edges out to like nine or 10,000. My name is Ian Deaton. I'm a low budget film composer and I also work part time at Videodrome. Grabbing things off the shelf that we would have never found. That's Especially otherwise. like, I'm, I'm like a big like horror and exploitation fan. Mm -hmm. And that's probably one of the most like lost genres of film. Like you could probably find like things that are considered like classics, but like you can't find most of them unless you like either buy a physical copy from someone for like a hundred dollars yeah. <laughs> or just come here, you know? That amped up a lot during quarantine. I moved back to Atlanta from Athens in 2018 and I would come probably like twice a month. Whenever I could get down here, like I would try to just like walk around and at least browse because I'd never seen something so detailed and cataloged. It was enthralling. <laughs> Any kind of physical storefront in like this era is kind of like practicing a, a tradition or routine in a weird way, especially something like a video store. It's like a reflection of something maybe people associate with the past, but like actually has a lot of usefulness. It's just fun, you know? It's like, and then the conversations you have, yeah, too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's great. <laughs> Another thing I'll say is that coming over here and just being able to talk with some of the staff while I, like, browse has been a welcomed human interaction. <laughs> you just, oh, yeah. like, being inside yeah. all the time, Constantly it's like... second-guessing yourself yeah. around people. Oh, God, it's just like, I say that? Like, yeah. But it's just so relaxed and, like, 
I'm not even the number one fan in my friend group. It's Dan Clifford. He paid someone to do an embroidery of their logo says, for a Christmas present. Does it say Drome Sweet Drome? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Really. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, he'll probably come in today. He usually right. comes in on Fridays, so. Yeah. I, I think the most important thing is uh, curators. Yeah. Like, because that's what this store is, even though it's, there's an insane amount of films and television shows in here, Matt and everybody else that works here, because it's kind of like a collective, we really try to curate this stuff. That's one of the reasons why it's split into all these crazy sections and stuff like that. All of us that work here have Hulu and Netflix. It's not like we're opposed to that. We want to see the films however the fuck we can get our grubby yeah. little hands on them. Yeah, exactly. And this just happens to be the most direct way to do it a lot of times. You get weird information you didn't know before that you're not necessarily like if you pull up rolling thunder on netflix it's not going to tell you that paul schrader was details. unemployed for six months and an alcoholic and almost got kicked out of his house and got fired by pauline kyle like <laughs> while he was writing the movie and that's why it's so you know what i'm saying like you don't learn stuff like that and we also have a, a lot of people that work part-time on and off in the film industry that uh, work here like tommy has done construction on sets Donnie barely comes here anymore because he's a full-time editor on television shows and stuff like that. I worked as a PA and a camera PA for like years until it bashed my childhood dreams into nothing and I had to run away <laughs> screaming to this wonderful place where <laughs> movies are real and yeah there's there's other stories too but but it's nice because we get to like kind of bring that kind of stuff into the store to talk to the customers about and, and most importantly everybody I think most of the people that will actually sit and talk to you have a basic love of cinema and most importantly storytelling. It's extremely important to all cultures and always has been and if you look back there's even examples in like I don't know I want to say thousands or 1200 in the Middle East where they were doing projected plays with candlelight and like stuff like that like literally proto cinema like a long f***ing time ago. And it's like, it's obvious that this ritual of human beings sitting around some kind of light to tell them a story, whether that's a someone speaking or behind a screen or on the stage or what, you know, it's like, it just keeps coming up over and over again. We can't seem to shake that mode of people sitting around telling us something about ourselves. Uh, I know it's, I'm going way out there, but, but, but still it, it is important. And I've recognized that so many times working here. I'm like, what is the common denominator between all this shit? And it's like, oh yeah. When I was five and my grandpa tells me a creepy story about when he thought he saw a UFO, you know, standing in front of the fire. It's literally the same, same thing. I just love DVDs. I know it's silly. I know everybody's gone to streaming and all this other kind of stuff. But to me, this is like opening a book, holding a book in your hand. You're, you've got the, the DVD and it's, I don't know, it's just something special. You know what I'm saying? And then everything else, it's truly streaming. It's streaming right past you. And besides, these guys are fantastic. They know every movie ever made, every everything. If there's anything you want to know, I mean, they know it. So, and to me, that just means a lot. I come once a week, truly, because I don't always know what I want to watch and be able to browse the shelves is exciting. And honestly, talking to these guys, they're always recommending me something. As somebody who thinks that I know a lot about movies, then you come here and you realize, you know, the diverse uh, stuff that they know about and recommend is just, uh, it just makes it better than, than any other options, you know, streaming or otherwise, so. I'm Dan. Dan, your um, reputation preceded you. you. They were talking about you before you got here. That's very cool. <laughs> I'm very excited about that. I've been coming here for a year. On April 28th is my one year anniversary of coming here every week. Because they gave me my rental history a while back and I was like, right, I want to find out what the, like, exact day is this is the best store in the damn world it's like the only space i allow myself to go to i really don't like algorithms is one part of it but like this store what's great about it is like they'll give you off the wall recommendations about something that you'll never even think to look for you can dig really deep in an obscure subgenre in a way that you can't even via streaming like we watched 53 Hong Kong movies this summer or something. We were able to because of these guys. You know, they know that Hong Kong section is f***ing legendary. It's just the, the ability to, like, drill down into a subgenre or get something completely random that, generally speaking, isn't on streaming, you know? The knowledge base of, like, what, like, 20 years of collecting is unparalleled. It's hard for me to put into words, frankly, how much I like this place.
Dan, I want to point out because the microphone doesn't capture this that you're wearing a video drone mask. Uh, I'm not wearing one video drone mask. I'm wearing two, <laughs> and a lady snowblood shirt. I figure I look like the picture of the client. Oh, and a cassette tape earring too. Oh yeah. It just, it all tracks. I'm Will. Will. This is, this is Emily. I'm Emily. Hi, Emily. Hey. And you've been coming here for what, like the last year? You've been coming longer been coming before like we had our pretty much day-to-day -day ritual um yeah probably about two or three years now yeah yeah there's a hollywood video on highway 41 that we would go to it was pretty big it's now an auto zone i think well that's much more exciting yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then there was like a really strange i feel like i just remember the smell where it wasn't it didn't smell like mothballs but it just smelled very like dingy and that one was closer to us but we didn't go there as often this is much smaller, but I don't remember the name of it. I think it was just like independently owned. I also went to school in Athens, so I went to Vision Video in Athens a bunch, and that kind of like, that's probably what got me into watching movies, was going to Vision Video. What are you gonna rent today? Do you have any idea? No, uh-uh, no. That's why I came in here all excited, because there, there's unlimited possibilities. So far I have Night of the Demon from 1957, haven't seen it, I'm very excited. And then recommendation from him was Rolling Thunder, Paul Schrader. I love Paul Schrader. Mishima, first reformed. He wrote Taxi Driver, you know, and Flash Gordon, Smooth Talk. A lot of stuff that I haven't seen that I feel like I should have seen already. Mixed with the new release, Let Him Go, because I'll admit to being a Kevin Costner fanboy. We're looking for something very dumb. So we might get Freddy Got Fingered or uh, Encino Man. Because we just got vaccinated, so we're trying to watch something as stupid as possible. Well, today I'm actually buying uh, VHS tapes. Our producer, Trevor. I found a lovely copy of Pink Floyd's The Wall. Dude, I've seen that on VHS. My dad has that on VHS. Yeah? Yeah. I, I could not pass that up. How do you pick something? I mean, you just divine it? You hear about stuff, naturally. You hear, it's just like advertisements and everything else. But a lot of times, this can sound silly, but I just walk in and whatever jumps out at me. And usually that's better than what I had heard or planned on getting to begin with. My name is Matt Booth. I'm the owner of Video Drum. Moved to Atlanta in 96. I kind of worked in video stores on and off in high school and I didn't really have a lot of job opportunities after college. And I just started picking up shifts at a video store that at that time is called Video Update and it was at Rio Mall which is doesn't exist anymore. It was the kind of job where people came and go a lot so if you just showed up on time you became the manager pretty quickly and I got moved over to the little five points location I wasn't the head person that store but I was a manager and I just got to know people in the neighborhood and realized it was the kind of neighborhood that like people were looking for more than just what corporate stores were and that was like the heyday of video stores that was like 96 97 they were so common at that time that's the only way people got entertainment on Friday and Saturday besides going to the movies so it didn't seem ridiculous to open another video store I had a friend at the time who also worked at the store his name was Jeff Sutton and we just started looking for locations and we convinced the landlord here to in the summer of 1998 to let us have this space and we took a combination of our own VHS collections and what we kind of drove around and scavenged had a decent amount of money to put some orders in and started the store with uh, maybe like 5,000 VHS. There's been a lot of changes in this industry so we were all VHS we moved to DVD slowly and now we're kind of moving to Blu-ray and there's been some kind of lost formats in between too. I don't know, Blu-ray's working really well. It's a really good format. It's got tons of great companies playing out really special editions of things, perfect restorations. It's a really impressive kind of format, so yeah. I'm hoping it stays. I mean, we've had our ups and downs too. I mean, when we started, like I said, we were more of like alternative to the corporate store, so we were concentrating on the genres we liked, Italian horror and Hong Kong movies and anime, and like we had new releases, but they were just like the indie stuff or the foreign stuff. We didn't mess with big Hollywood releases at all. As we became the last video store, we've become more mainstream in a way and we get kind of something for everybody. And our selection really just evolves with our customer base, what they're looking for, and with our employees, what they're asking for. Our customers are really knowledgeable. They fill us in all the time on things that if we miss it, they let us know. And I put a great stock in like personal recommendations. So for me, sitting around and talking to customers all day about what they're watching, what they like, they've turned me on to so much stuff. You know, it's not just me turning them on to things. We have a new wall, a new release wall, and you know that does have new movies that you would categorize as things that just came out on DVD and Blu-ray, and it also has a lot of like 
special releases, special editions of things that are new to Blu-ray for the first time. So it has a lot of older movies on it, but it's the first time they've been on Blu-ray or whatever. And then if you move along the store, we have an anime section from Japanese animation to Adult Swim to like theatrical animated features. There's a TV section over in that corner. That's one thing that's really changed since we've been open. TV was terrible when we first started and now that whole genre has gotten better. Then it kind of moves into some foreign stuff. We have like a Scandinavian section, Eastern European, German, Spanish, South American, Central American, Italian, big French section with some of the big French directors carved out, sort of kids section, and above that there's like a young adult section that has like the Harry Potter and the Star Wars and that kind of stuff too. And then when you go around that corner, there'll be like a Japanese section, which is sort of mainstream Japanese movies, and then a classic Japanese section that has more like Kurosawa, and then a bunch of samurai and kind of Yakuza movies. Southeast Asia, some of the countries that don't have a ton of movies, but we have a half a shelf or so of each of those. That's a huge range. Yeah. Yeah, Taiwan is big now. There's a bunch of great Taiwanese films. China, we have a big Hong Kong section. 90s Hong Kong set is one of the favorite like genres of our store so then there's some generic kind of comedy British drama action thriller we have an 80s section with a bunch of 80s favorites we call it we keep wanting to do a 90s section but there's no room right now um but we're getting to that we only have room for about 45,000 movies in this whole store and some of that is multiples of certain you know we might have five copies of certain things so that's actually one of the things we're doing now to make more room for blu-ray we have about 7,500 Blu-rays right now. We're going back, pulling some DVDs that we had three and four copies of that we don't need three and four DVDs of that anymore, dropping down to one or two. We just only have the shelf space for a certain amount of movies. So yeah, it's usually anywhere between 40 and 45,000. You want to see, you know, you yeah, want like really wants to this. see the stacks. Yeah, so these are uh, a little tight back here. Um, but you can see the numbers back here. They go somewhere into the, 30,000 back here. We have different color codes for different tags for us so we can organize it a certain way. It's a labyrinth of shelves, basically. So we had to add rolling shelves. <laughs> We've had to um, add shelves on top of shelves. I don't know, it's just a system to get as many discs in here as possible. They originally built to hold VHS. The newer shelves don't have to be as big because they hold DVDs and Blu-rays. And then you've just got every title in like a generic case with like yeah. uh, a serial number you made up it's, it's, yeah. and the title of the movie like handwritten on the outside of it. Yeah, it's not the Dewey Decimal System. It's basically every movie in the order that we got it, essentially, nice. that it came into the store. Oh, yeah, when you're talking about new movies, like this is a desk, this is a small desk we used to work on stuff. This is the movies that come out next week. And you've got your glamour shot of Tommy Wiseau looking over you. Yeah, he was here one time. He signed his movie for us. Really? Yeah. This is where we've been collecting VHS that we sell. I like set up appointments with people that come and buy VHS sometimes or we have it on, on the floor. We've had some VHS like events where we've sold VHS at events. For us, we just want to be a part of the community. We want to be part of the film community. We like to put on screenings. We like to do events at like bars and restaurants. We like to have people in the store. And as long as we have customers and they're into us, we'll be here <laughs> essentially. Thanks a lot. What's the podcast it's called? It's called Ephemeral. Ephemeral? Oh my god, are oh, you, you know for it? real? Dude, I love your podcast. Oh, Y'all just like, wait, holy shit, I was just on Ephemeral? No, because. Well, yeah, but you, you will be. <laughs> I was literally like two days ago looking up to see if y'all were doing new stuff. <laughs> I mean, like, I feel like I just walked on the set of a Wong Kar Wai movie accidentally or some shit. Like, wow. Encino Man, that's another extremely stupid movie. Um, 90s. In preparation for this pair of episodes, we wanted to talk with friends who also came of age in the heyday of the American video store. Here, Annie Reese of the podcasts Saver and Stuff Mom Never Told You and Lauren Vogelbaum of Saver and Brain Stuff join ephemeral producers Trevor Young, Max Williams, and myself for a roundtable discussion on growing up with movie stores. First of all, when I told some friends of mine that we were doing this who were older than me, they were like, you don't know video stores. Did you have VHS? Like, I love that level of like automatic, you're too young for that. 
But uh, my family, we did love movies. And my dad, especially, like, he even taught a movie class. And when I went to college, once a month, he would send me a box of movies to watch. And when movie stores came out, when I remember going to them first, I was in elementary school. And every Friday, we would get either pizza or Chinese food. And then I have two brothers. And we have a very contentious competitive relationship with each other. And usually one of us got to choose the movie. Sometimes it was two and sometimes it was a video game. And I grew up in a really small town. So there was an option in town that was like 15 minutes away or there was a blockbuster, which was bigger and had more options, 30 minutes away. So we usually did that only once a month. And we we typically went to the one in town, which had, I love it, it was like a year behind and everything. And they only had one copy of everything. So like... You at Blockbuster, in my experience, it would have like a copy of the DVD you would bring up to check out, right? This place in my town, which I don't remember the name of, but it was just this really small hole in the wall. You would get like these little coins. You'd get them off the wall. And there was only one for every movie or every video game. And you would take it up to to check it out. And it was the most exciting, like competitive. Like you'd see somebody else going for a movie. And you're like, no, <laughs> you would go for it, especially because everything was a year behind. So there were certain titles that were just really in demand. And I loved it. I loved the excitement of that sitting around on a Friday night with my family and we would dim the lights and we would eat whatever, like pizza or Chinese food. And even if I, like, for instance, my older brother loves Star Trek and I was afraid of aliens, that he would always get Star Trek movies. Like, even that I would, I would let it settle. I would let him win and we would try to enjoy this experience together that was very exciting to me as a child of like this new movie. I can't go, we can't afford to go to the movies, the, the theater all the time, but we can do this. And it was really special to me. Do you remember um, like getting certain movies a year late <laughs> and like, like to get a, I don't know, The Matrix in like 2003 or something? I actually have a very specific memory of The Matrix. Yes. The funny part is my hometown also didn't have a movie theater, except they had like a historic theater that was usually used for plays, but they also got movies a year late. So it's like the whole town was kind of isolated in that way. So if you stayed in the bubble, no one knew what happened at the end of The Matrix. I was surprised. (laughs) I was surprised about what happened in Fight Club. (laughs) But... Once a month, we did go to Blockbuster, and that was that was like the almost the same as I don't know, small town girl goes to big city, where I'd just be like, options, options galore, so big, everything's new and shiny. What about you, Lauren? Goodness, my very first video store was when I was a tiny child, maybe like a four to six years old growing up in Ohio up near Cleveland. And down the block from my house, there was this little corner market that I believe was named Borden Arrows or Borden Arrows. I was six. <laughs> um, and they had a single rack, like one of those little round spinny racks of VHS tapes. And uh, my dad was a relatively early adopter of the home VHS player. I I remember he would have gotten one in maybe like 86 or something like that. You know, so not like it it was one of the first ones. uh, I remember him specifically showing off the features of rewinding and slow forward motion to one of his friends with Indiana Jones and the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And they were both like, whoa! (laughs) And but so Bordenero's had this like one rack of VHS tapes and uh I occasionally would get to pick one out, and every single time I got Disney's Robin Hood to the point that my mother had to sit me down and have a very earnest conversation with me about what renting means (laughs) and about how much it cost. And I think that was the end of my reign of terror with with Robin Hood from Disney and all those sexy, sexy foxes. What kind of store was it? What was it like, kind of like an indie store where there wasn't a lot of selection like Annie was talking about or... It it wasn't primarily uh, for for a video. Yeah, it was this like small corner grocer market kind of thing um, that I just remember being so much in that color palette of the mid to late 80s where everything was kind of like that like rusty brown 
color. The floors were, the shelving was, the lights sort of were. I was always excited because they had like the cool bubble gum, like Big Chew and stuff at the checkout. Not that my mom let, let me get bubble gum, but I was like, oh man, I could pretend I use chewing tobacco. Like, what? like what? Like, why was that a thing in my brain when I was six years old? But yeah, it was extremely limited selection. I'm not sure other than Disney's Robin Hood what I would have possibly been interested in <laughs> at this place. Yeah, it's uh, it reminds me. And I sometimes forget this, like they used to have like little video rental stores like you're describing and like grocery stores yeah. and like gas stations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this one was just a little privately owned place. You know, you could pick up, uh, I don't know, SpaghettiOs, dry goods, stuff like that. And yeah, pick out a videotape. Yeah, actually, a couple of years ago, I was hiking near like an hour away from Atlanta and I went to an Ingalls. And I was delighted that they still had video rental. And I was like taking pictures and the people working there were like, what's wrong with you? That's <laughs> a video rental. I haven't seen this in forever. <laughs> yeah. When I when I got older um, and we moved to South Florida, it was kind of, you know, that early 90s boom of video stores when they were making the transfer over into DVD. And so that's when I started going to like a blockbuster and stuff like that. And yeah, lots of memories similar to what Annie was talking about with her blockbuster experience with just, you know, like, like walking in and you get that gust of just pure plasticine in the air. And there's just all the bright and shiny displays everywhere. And they all really want you to watch, I don't know, Silence of the Lambs or whatever it is. And they've got 98 copies of that one DVD. And then, I don't know, when you're like a little goth high school weirdo, you just kind of like shuffle quietly over to the horror section and look through because you couldn't Google anything, you know, and so it was either what you knew about at the time or what you could glean from the box art and like the fonts and like whatever terrible marketing copy was on there, whether or not you really wanted to rent Candyman or whatever it was. Alex, your turn. Well, well maybe Max and I can tag team it because I don't know if you all know, but Max and I are flesh and blood brothers. Yeah, we're related if you guys didn't pick up on that. <laughs> I can't even tell the difference between you two. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think our video store experience is probably about the same. In our town, I mean, there, we we weren't too limited. I mean, we had a Blockbuster. We had two Blockbusters and a Hollywood video, actually. What? So, <laughs> we, I don't know. what We had two Blockbusters, and our house was equidistant between them. Um, you know, I remember in Royal Oak, Michigan, in the town when we were real little, before we moved down south, Going to, I don't know what the video store was there. It was an indie video store there. Mm -hmm. but uh, And that would have been the early 90s. But I remember going there, similar to both of your stories, Max. You're going to tell this, aren't you? No, I got it. Yeah, my, uh, my, you know, my parents would be like, all right, Alex, you pick a video. Max, you pick a video. Max is a little younger than me. And Max, there was a series of videos then like 30-minute educational things called Road Construction Ahead. And each episode of Road Construction Ahead would focus on like a particular like piece of road construction equipment, like the backhoe or the, the, the crane or, or, you know, the bulldozer. And I remember my parents bargaining with him being like, Max, we've seen this. We've seen Road Construction Ahead bulldozer already. Do you want to watch this cartoon? And he would be like, Road Construction Ahead. I'd be like, do you want to watch like... Like this film, Road Construction Ahead. And so we just rented Road Construction Ahead for Max every single time we went. And then eventually my parents bought the whole series after they had, you know, sunk their life savings into <laughs> renting it from this indie store. Well, that was the least surprising thing I've encountered today. Yes. Uh, I mean, I'm a person that when I really like something, I just, you know, why change it up? I mean, Road Construction Ahead was amazing and I would love to trace it down. But yeah, I mean... I was trying to think of the name of that video store as well. Like, I was sitting here because I was planning to tell that story as well. But I just cannot remember that. But uh, I do remember because, you know, as Alex said, there was two blockbusters, Equidistance. And this is by the time we moved down here to Atlanta, which I was, what, six? And I think Alex was, you were, what, eight, seven when we moved down here. So we were pr both pretty young. Like, one of the blockbusters, it was like 0.1 miles closer. That was it. So that's why we went there. But there was one summer it was when Alex was getting his learner's permit. We got a like unlimited pass. So you can get as many movies as you want from that blockbuster. Like you could you could have two at a time, but you could watch them, return them, watch them, return them. And so we would go like honestly like twice a day, three times a day sometimes, just 
we just sit, it was over a summer, just watch movies the entire day. And we watched virtually the entire selection. And I'm trying to think of some of the movies we watched. We watched some terrible movies. I remember spending like an afternoon watching a like Stephen King four hour like marathon movie. And I was like, oh, it was bright outside. Now it's dark. That's how we <laughs> spent our day. That's how we spent our lovely summer day. <laughs> it, it, like, you know, occasionally we get something like really good. But I mean, I think the coolest part about it was like by the end of the summer, like everyone, like I guess probably like the manager there or floor manager, whatever. Like, they, he, he knew us and he's like, oh, you guys should watch this movie. Kind of similar like how like our trip to a video drum was where it's like, Hey, you should watch this movie, but you know, to a very much a lesser extent about it. So obviously I think of Road Construction Ahead and I knew Alex would tell that story because he's my older brother. But yeah, I, I really think about that that summer. I guess I don't remember what year it was, but when we literally were just at the blockbuster every day. So the other person that I would go to the video store with was my friend Michael, who's been on this show before. And Michael's grandparents are Jehovah's Witnesses, and his grandfather's an elder in the in the Kingdom Hall. And I don't know what connection this has, but it had some kind of connection. He always had coupons for stuff. He always had so many coupons and gift cards that he got through some connection at his kingdom hall. I don't know. I don't know why. But so he would be like, you can stay out of trouble. This is Papa is his his grandfather's (laughs) name. Uh, (laughs) You can stay out of trouble. Go to Red Lobster tonight and give us a $50 gift card to Red Lobster. And he always had blockbuster coupons where you could take a coupon and and rent a movie with it. And so Michael and I would go at least twice a week to the blockbuster, the other one in in Dunwoody. And we didn't know the people in the store there. And we were little, you know, 16 year old, 17 year old cinema snobs. And we would go there and argue about films with, with the people behind the counter between those two. That's where I watched all of my movies in my uh, formative years. And can I, can I ask, did y'all want to impress the people at the counters of these stores? Or for, for me, it was kind of an adversarial uh, relationship, like, because like, I thought I was so much cooler than them. And so like, whatever they thought, I was like, oh, well, I'm glad you didn't like this one. But <laughs> did, did y'all have the opposite experience? I think it was kind of adversarial, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was different for different guys. I, I, I wish I remembered them all a little bit more. Let's see. My video store experience growing up was kind of twofold. So I grew up with split custody between my mom and dad. Mom was in Austin, which is where I primarily grew up and lived. And then I would like visit my dad who lived in Dallas. So when I went to Dallas, my dad and I would go to all the chains like Blockbuster. So that was kind of our thing we did when he had custody of me every other weekend or whatever it was. And then... In Austin, uh, it was a little bit more of a like cinephile town, I guess. So it was much more of like a cultural institution kind of a thing, having a video store nearby. And the big one in Austin that we would go to was called I Love Video. Uh, the love part being just being like a heart on the on the sign, uh, which I'm sure like some people have seen before because it's somewhat iconic, I guess, at least amongst video store aficionados. So I Love Video was like the really cool one that my mom would take me to. And there were always people with like green hair, you know, and like wearing like hippie outfits there. It was like that kind of place. And it was like laid out really cool. There were like toys everywhere, like hanging from the ceiling by string, you know, like Godzilla's. It was like neon lit on the inside. It was really like just a neat, hip place to be, I guess. So a lot of my video store experience growing up was like also like a a cultural ushering, you know, it was like, this is Austin culture right here incarnate in this little store. And if you want to grow up to be a true Austinite, you have to like absorb this. So I guess in my mind, you know, it was also kind of a place to find identity, you know, a video store. I can't imagine it's exactly the same for everybody, but I think everybody at least to some degree can relate to that, you know, like you kind of found out who you were a little bit in a video store, whether or not you wanted to. When you got to Atlanta and went into Videodrome for the first time, did it feel a little bit like coming home? Yeah, yeah, you could say that. I think Videodrome here in Atlanta does a really good job of capturing that same energy I was talking about, you know, this like like love of movies and, and like making everything seem really hip and cool around like seeing and renting movies. I really hadn't experienced that in like, I don't know, God, like 10, 15 years since I lived in Austin you know, when I was a teenager, it was like the last time I'd really felt that. And so when I came to Atlanta, I like gravitated towards Videodrome immediately. I would like start going there regularly. 
you know, I never thought I'd like go back to like renting movies from a brick and mortar store, but there was just so much to love about like the experience and kind of living out those, you know, childhood memories and that feeling again that uh, I've been a regular patron ever since. Yeah, same. When when I moved here, I, I moved here like fifteen or sixteen years ago now, and so so blockbusters and Hollywood videos and all that were still open, and it was still um, a thing that I would go because because it was it was like an event night, you know, like it would be that would be what you were doing with the night. You were going to this video store and renting a movie and taking it home and watching it, as opposed to whatever browsing that you do these days. But yeah, the, the I, it felt like a it felt like a grown up candy store the first time I went into Videodrome. Like I just walked in and I was you know like like kind of like just bouncing around the corners. Like I'm in heckin' you know Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, and I turn and there's just a whole wall that says sex and splatter, and I'm like I'm home. Thank you, thank you for getting me. Yeah, it's um, interesting when we did the tour. I think one of the things most people really enjoyed about it was like getting to have conversation, you know, there like about movies and um, be around other like-minded people about film and cinema and just like be able to like hang out there for 45 minutes, you know, chit-chatting about whatever. I guess, you know, as a kid, I'm sure most of us were probably like this too. Like, I don't know, I guess we didn't really know enough about movies. Like I was happy with whatever you know, like Spider-Man movie was out at the time that like, I didn't feel the need to like have conversations. But like when I started coming to Videodrome as an adult, you know, I I got to really like discover that, discover that feeling of like community around film that I like, I guess I never really caught on to as a kid. You know, like I kind of felt it was there for the adults, but it wasn't until I was one that I could like do that. And I don't think that would have ever happened if Videodrome didn't exist, you know. Can I ask, I've been talking to people about video stores to jog my memory because I think the last time that I was regularly going to a video store, I was like pre-17, to be honest. What were the sections in like a blockbuster? Ooh. Well, I can tell you about mine. Please. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) the way the blockbuster in Dawsonville, Georgia was set up. You still remember like the order that you walked around the shop, don't you? Oh, yeah. Great. Well... (laughs) So the key the key was if you wanted a like new release popular movie they were on the outside edges so you had to go to the back and there were usually like a bunch of them like a whole wall that's one title yes and like multiple copies behind the uh cover it felt so like such a success especially for me because we didn't go to that place that often if it was a really high-in-demand movie and there's only, like, one copy left, oh, gosh, it's the best. And maybe you didn't even want to see that movie. I think that's one thing, Lauren, that you touched on that is lost, perhaps, to younger folks who don't have this experience. You didn't have the internet. It was fun in that way of, you know, this movie could be really bad, but I'm just going to get it. Like, that Netflix of deciding for two hours what you're going to watch and then you don't watch anything, that wasn't a thing because you had your parents, in my case, my my mom being like, we have 10 minutes, get something. And so <laughs> you just had to get something. And then for in the Blockbuster that I went to, it had in the store kind of like a library, like, yeah, horror, action-adventure, romance, all those big uh, genre categories. And then usually, like, one that was foreign movies and then one that was, like, indie movies with very small selection. And I did love horror from a very young age. And my form of altercation with the blockbuster people was... That me trying to convince them not to tell my mom, but let me rent this rated R movie, (laughs) Um, which I sometimes succeeded in. Often I didn't because we did usually rent as a family. So it'd be like, what did you get? And I would be like, Event Horizon. And then there'd be a very long conversation. (laughs) That would happen. Annie, how many of these movies actually gave you such terrible nightmares that like your parents were justified in not wanting you to see the film in the first place? Very, very many, very <laughs> many, uh, and in fact, one of my one of my earliest memories, I had snuck in and watched Jurassic Park, and I had a nightmare about raptors that night, and like woke up screaming, and my parents were like, "Why did you have a nightmare about raptors?" And I was like, "No reason, no reason." <laughs> it came out that I had <laughs> snuck in to see Jurassic Park, so I have a very long history of yeah pushing the envelope when it comes to that kind of thing, and my parents being like, "Stop it." <laughs> <laughs> I totally forget about ratings and that you can't just pick up whatever you want. 
Totally forgot about like R-rated that things when you were a kid. Big thing when we were kids. Yeah, man. Oh yeah, I I consistently would like get a horror movie that was rated R and try to be like, just be cool. Just come on, man. I got the money. <laughs> 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 Andy, one of the things you had talked about that I also wanted to talk about was the experience of like checking out and how like magical of an experience that was, not only because you're getting this thing, but also because they had so much cool like, I don't know, merch and stuff, you know, like you had like the candy, you had sometimes they had like toys behind the counter, they had like plushies, you name it. And that was always a really fun thing for me. I'd like always get something, some sort of candy or what have you. Yeah, I was always trying to, because my parents also were very frugal, and I was always after those free movie posters. If you waited long enough, they would give you, like, usually pretty small (laughs) uh, movie posters. I really campaigned hard for cardboard cutouts. I never succeeded in that regard. But occasionally, I wasn't big into candy growing up, but there was something about, I think, the way we frame candy like as a snack around movies in the U.S. Like even if I wasn't, I didn't want it necessarily, I did want it. Like just the getting it was so exciting. And so I, sometimes me and my brothers would come together and usually my older brother also, he usually won these kinds of things. We would get Butterfinger BBs because he loved The Simpsons and they were having that whole thing. And so that was like, we would form an alliance over these Butterfinger BBs. Even if if we're watching Star Trek, what was the one that really messed me up? Wrath of Khan. The one with the oh Oh, Picard. Was it one of the new ones? Yeah, Nemesis. Oh, Oh, right. I was about to say yeah. Some Tom Hardy right there. Yeah, Nemesis is the one where Tom Hardy plays uh, uh, Patrick Stewart's twin. Right. Is Tom Hardy? Tom Hardy. (laughs) Tom Hardy's the villain. I blocked that movie out. (laughs) He plays Captain Picard (laughs) from the past. But also, just the experience of. Getting that movie was exciting, like having that because a lot of times I did use my own money and I would check it out and just being like proud of being able to do that, but also excited of what's this going to night going to be and what if I love this movie as much as I love Hocus Pocus and it changes my life like that, like the possibilities in front of you when you would get a movie. And I was somebody who loved libraries, too, and that was a very similar experience of like I'm so excited about this that could really, really charge my imagination and perhaps like change how I view things or some be something that I love potentially. So I just that experience on top of the the Butterfinger babies. <laughs> I tell you what, I I've asked like three friends just about their video store, you know, uh, video stores growing up and whatever, and the first thing all of them mentioned was the candy, the candy. Huh. I had forgotten all about it, but there was like candy in like very large quantities, like large portions of candy. Or even if it wasn't large portions, it was in like the movie sized boxes. So it seems so. And, and they're all in these like day glow colors, especially in the 90s and, uh, and and so bright and big and so in your face with the marketing, because I'm sure that like in a movie theater, the upcharge on those is tremendous. Um, so it's really worth their while to push it on you. I never had any pocket money as a kid. So when I would go and have a sleepover and have these video store experiences, I was never buying candy there. But I could usually, usually the video stores were in like a, a, a shopping center with a whatever the shopping store of, of the of the day was. And I could trick them into being like, hey, can we go over to Publix and get some popcorn and candy? Yeah. Oh, those checkout lanes. That was a what, what, a, what a gambit. Of, uh, of of will willpower. It was terrible. Oh, and it was a queue, too, yeah. where they made you walk yeah. through a queue, whether or not there was anyone in line. You couldn't just walk up to the counter. You had to go through a little zigzag structure that they had set up with um, cordons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only the fanciest in Hollywood video. <laughs> what, what did the blockbuster look like? Was the carpet blue? I want to say, yeah, everything in there was that was that iconic like blue and yellow, those like power colors, like you're in the middle of a superhero title sequence. <laughs> I remember everything being kind of like polka dot carpet. You know, it's like that really like flat, thin oh, yeah. carpet that's like basically like concrete. Mm-hmm. And it was like kind of like, 
I don't know, weird, crazy, like when I think like 80s design, like Saved by the Bell, kind of like spotty, squiggly designs on the carpet. Yeah. That's what I remember it looking like. Well, my the one that was the small one in my hometown was really haphazardly put together. It was like, imagine a really sad linoleum office and just like not very small. And the shelves didn't have many options to choose from. But I forgot to say there was an ice cream store in the back. So on special days, could go back to, to talk to Dan. And get a scoop of ice cream. And that was a good day. That was a really good day. <laughs> My next question for the group is kind of just when you kind of notice that like video stores are going out of style. And if you ever really like consciously thought about it, like I never go to video stores anymore. Like, were you happy to embrace like things like streaming and Netflix and didn't really lose that much until, I don't know, you were an adult and had to think about it, if that makes sense? Our family was on the Netflix DVD rental plan very early. My dad, yeah, was on Netflix right away. I think they actually Blockbuster did the disc rental thing to compete with Netflix yeah. early on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I left home when I was 17 for college and I went to film school. And so I remember having to watch very specific films a lot. So I had a Netflix rental to get you know, these films that maybe Blockbuster wouldn't carry. And, you know, also like going to the library at school and screenings at school specifically. That was 2007 to 2011. I think that's basically the decline of the the video store was like happening when I was in film school. Does, that, does those dates make sense for your research, Trevor? Yeah. Yeah. So I think like, yeah, 2012 to 2014 was kind of like when they really started just disappearing, you know, when we started seeing headlines of Blockbuster declaring bankruptcy, closing tens of thousands of stores, stuff like that. It was just... I was in my maximum film snobbery at that time, <laughs> only watching foreign <laughs> films. I wasn't helping anybody. But uh, I jump in there. I mean, I, I feel like my story was kind of similar. So I left for college two years after Alex did. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like my dad, our dad uh, is pretty like, you know, he's, you know, pretty fiscally aware. And so he hated Blockbuster. He hated like the late charges. He hated like the limited things. He thought it was a massive markup. So as soon as he could jump ship from Blockbuster, he did. So, I mean, I don't remember maybe like hanging out with some friends on like a Friday night or something like that. We'd go to Blockbuster and get a movie. But I don't remember really going to Blockbuster after Alex left for college. I remember Blockbuster being a thing still when I like was in high school. And then, you know, by the time I was like 25 and Alex and I didn't have a car either. So it wasn't like we could just get in a car, drive to a Blockbuster, stuff like that. Like, you know, every trip to something had to be calculated and figured out. And it was just kind of like all of a sudden there was one day and it's like, oh yeah, these things don't exist anymore for me. And I was kind of like, I mean, I, I liked like the independent, like, movie rental stores but like blockbuster it's like there was kind of such an evil company that i didn't feel bad that they were gone i I mean just to be just to be honest i was just like good riddance for them but it's kind of sad all the rest of them are gone though so i don't know that's i guess my take on it yeah definitely the the community stores are the ones that probably got hit the hardest and needed the most help and most of them didn't get it but you know i guess frankly there just wasn't much of a market for it, you know, so of course they'd be the first ones to go. For me, I I think it kind of, the decline kind of started with DVDs because we would buy some VHS, but for the most part, like VHS were like very clunky. They were primarily known as like rentals. They were a lot more expensive to produce, right? A lot more more materials. So the sell-through market was not as, as big for VHS. Like, you couldn't really go to the store and buy a VHS. I mean, you could sometimes, like we had some VHS. But when DVDs came out, at least, it was like way cheaper to buy your own movies. All of a sudden, it was like every Christmas, every birthday, I got like five DVDs. You know, it was just like you can get a, a DVD for like 10 bucks at Walmart or whatever. And so at that point, like the the rental system just kind of started to collapse, I noticed. Like I didn't find myself going to rent anything anymore because I could either get a disc for super cheap or I could rip it off LimeWire at that point or something like that. You know, like ripping when you had a disc too was like way more sophisticated. So you started to see that a lot more too. So in my mind, that just became the future was like collecting my own physical media rather than renting. And that's why I stopped going to stores for the most part growing up. 
Yeah, I think similarly, my dad did really love movies, so he just started buying a lot of movies. So it became, we didn't have cable, we didn't have TV, we didn't have working internet. They didn't get all of that stuff until I moved out and went to college, which still bothers me to this day, but that's just how things work sometimes. We kind of, or at least in my dad's case, like we needed media or some kind of entertainment. Like we could just be renting something all the time, but we didn't have uh, cable or TV. So we would buy movies. And I feel like it was also for me when DVDs came out in high school, when I was in high school, they became more ubiquitous. And then when I went to college, I did, my roommate um, also loved movies and she had this goal to watch the top 100 AFI movies. And so we would rent movies every week from the library. And we did that throughout college, but that was probably the last time I've regularly rented uh, movies. And it was lovely. I mean, I there's something about the experience, especially because the library it was free, where you'd just be like, yeah, let's get the, I don't know what this is. Let's get it. Let's try it. <laughs> yeah. And having that night together being like, okay, this wasn't really good, but we had fun. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm... I'm a I'm a couple years older than the rest of y'all. Um, so I, I was in college from 2000 to 2004. Um, so by the time video stores were really declining, I was already uh, a grown up, um, a 20 something at any rate, uh, out in the world. And um, some of my friends did have Netflix DVD subscriptions at the time. I think my highest rental time was during college when some of my friends and I. Um, we're starting to get into weird indie films um, and especially weird genre films. And um, there were still a couple local places that would rent out these just just wonderful, bizarre, uh, scandalous, scandalous films. Um, and uh, you know, f- finding those either through these online subscription services or um, or uh, in these local stores was just 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 magical, just absolutely like the kind of things that you're you're just not even sure why and how someone committed this object to film and suddenly you get to watch it in your house uh 20 years after it was made <laughs> just magic but i felt the decline of the big box video stores really viscerally because it was again like it was a thing that i would go and do with my friends and that was an activity that was a relatively inexpensive activity for the evening and i was just like well but what what am i going to what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do with Kai? Like, well, like, what what are we going to watch when we order pizza if we can't go to the Hollywood video next to the pizza place? Like, like, how is this going to work? And I don't know. Even getting a DVD in the mail is is a different. I think I think you're I think you're right, Trevor. Like, there was something about VHS that lent itself to mm-hmm. the lending process a little bit more economically or viscerally or something like there was something about the the physicality of that tape and the way that it the way that it rattles and the way that it it, it even rattles in the paper sleeve in this very satisfying way um that even a dvd and you gotta rewind it and all yeah. that yeah 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 so i mean where do you guys think video stores are going from here do you think like videodrome can still continue to exist do you think all these kind of you know, holdouts are going to be able to like make it happen? Or are we just going to lose out on this kind of piece of culture forever, inevitably coming soon? I think that that you see it in kind of a lot of different industries, like a return to, it's been a weird year for it, obviously, but a return to like in-person, more kind of like boutique. Like vinyl. Yeah, like vinyl or like record stores, or, you know, or or whatever, like, you know, people getting away from buying everything on Amazon, doing all of their shopping and all of their commerce online. But it's like, oh, there are certain things that like I do actually want to, you know, have like a personal experience going in, choosing something like that. I mean, like what's more valuable than your time, right? You know, people is a little bit of a long winded of saying, but like some people might do it with, you know, fashion or something like you don't want to buy your stuff online you want to go into an actual physical store to do it like if if like your thing is watching movies and lots of you don't have to be a cinephile or quote unquote to be that person right like if you like watching movies then like there's certainly a particular drive to go into a place where you can do it the most conscientiously yeah i think i think so i don't think they'll ever come back to like when the heyday of when we were experiencing them 
But I do feel like there's been a return in a lot of ways. People have expressed, like, what is that called? Entertainment fatigue. When you have way too many streaming options and way too many things. Like, the reasons we flocked to things like Netflix, which is convenience and it's just right there. I think that we are realizing, like, yes, that's great. Love it. But sometimes I don't want that thing. Like, sometimes I want something else. I want a different option. And so I do think that I hope that there is a market for smaller boutique stores and people will continue to patronize them and that that number might grow. Yeah, I, I certainly hope that the that the small shops can hang on. And, and I love what Videodrome specifically has been doing in, in partnering up with other local businesses like the Plaza Theater, which is right around the corner to do some film screenings of really interesting movies. Or uh, they had a couple back when, you know, like live events were a thing. They had a few parties over at the Highland Inn Ballroom um, that were always just a really fun time of, you know, like people who are enthusiastic about a thing, getting together in a space and being enthusiastic about it is a wonderful thing. And I guess I guess, yeah, that that is what you're talking about when you're talking about that community of a film store, even if it's just you and the surly attendant, like that is a community of two of two people who you know, are who otherwise might not ever have the opportunity to talk and can wind up getting into a really interesting conversation about, yeah, like Cronenberg or whatever it is that it is. Like, I think that video stores that exist now have the potential to go on and that, that they can get some support because they fill a need in their community, but also maybe especially because they feel like a really rare niche now that there's just not that there's so few of them. There's such a rarity. But like new video stores? Like people opening, do you think that's a possibility? A new indie store in your town? I think it's possible. It'd be hard. <laughs> It'd be difficult to do. But I think it's possible. I, I think it's like more likely in very specific geographic areas. Yeah. Like it's got to be somewhere that's like a little bit more urban. Yeah. It's got to be somewhere, or it's got to be somewhere with like a, a big college, you know, like maybe Athens. Or somewhere would that would work, you know, where there's like enough young people. Yeah, just that kind of density. Yeah. One of the things that they pointed out when we were at Videodrome is that because they've been open for over 20 years, they've collected titles uh, that aren't in print anymore that you can't really find. I mean, they took all this, they've taken all this time to build up inventory, always be buying things. And that's one of the reasons when you go in there that their catalog is so incredibly diverse. I mean, it's something close to 40,000 titles now. And, you know, they've got lots of, I mean, they opened in the 90s. They've got lots of like indie and sort of small release stuff from the 90s specifically that hasn't been reissued and isn't in print anymore. If you or your collection of friends or whatever had a deep collection of film titles already, then you could start a store. Starting a store brand new and just buying all this stuff would probably be the least exciting way to do it. Huh. And I feel like at this point you would start having to – does Videodrome do this? Um, I, I feel like at a certain point from Blockbuster or whatever, you could rent out a VCR if you didn't have one. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I, I think that any new place that opened up might need to consider renting out the equipment with which to watch such a thing. Hmm. Holy cow. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't thought yeah I mean, you make a good yeah. point. You make a good point. I mean, who has DVD players anymore? Or just, I mean, you know, I don't know. Like, are you going to rent it on a thumb drive? Like, I <laughs> like who? <laughs> I will say there are a couple of movies I can't find on streaming that I want and I can't buy them anywhere and I'm not willing to spend $180 on The Princess and the Goblin which I think is probably not very good but I liked it as a child sounds um, good it had Cloris Leachman in it so that's a plus <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like Videodrome has that I you should yeah wrong, you should holler at Videodrome I should I have like four movies from my childhood that I'm like I'm pretty what sure are the other pretty ones? bad but I want to watch um, the Thief and the Cobbler is on there. I have a whole list. Are these all from the you, same I, production company or something? Because that sounds probably. a whole lot like the first one. <laughs> probably. <laughs> well, I can't get them anywhere. But I do think it's interesting, the idea, like, in the post-apocalyptic times, we won't have, well, we I don't know if we'll be around, but there won't be, like, internet necessarily. And there will, you want these physical things. And there are movies that I remember watching as a kid where that they would have to act out like the adults that could remember the Star Wars like movies. They would act them out for younger generations. But there is, you know, maybe you don't want to think that way, but it's possible that <laughs> we will need this physical media. 
uh, in the future. So it's something to keep in mind. This episode of Ephemeral was produced by Trevor Young and Max and Alex Williams, with big thanks to Dan Herbert, my colleagues Annie Reese and Lauren Vogelbaum, of the phenomenal food and culture podcast, Savor, and to Matt Booth and everyone at Videodrome for their hospitality in this production and for making Atlanta a great place for movie culture. We'll be back with something new in two weeks. In the meantime, you can find the full list of ephemeral episodes over on our website, ephemeral.show. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, like Savor, Brain Stuff, and Stuff Mom Never Told You, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 